Take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on. And today I want you to turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Luke is located, uh, what I would ask you to do is if you're in a physical Bible, turn to the table of contents. You'll find there that the Bible is broken up into two sections, the Old and the New Testament. Luke is actually the third book of the New Testament. So locate the New Testament. Third book is Luke, and you're going to want to turn to chapter 18, Luke 18. Now, if you're in an app, what I would ask you to do is pull down the list of the books of the Bible, scroll down about two-thirds of the way down, you'll find the book of Luke, and then go to chapter 18. Now, when I was still a youth pastor in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, uh, we would take our students out every summer out on the lake. We, we had some volunteers in our church that had boats, and we would take them out to go wakeboarding and tubing uh, and swimming out in the lake. It was just a, a great time of relaxation and fun uh, during the hot summer months. And one particular year, we went out and we had a great time, uh, and we had dropped off several of the students, and the ones that had stayed were our older students and our adult volunteers. And several of them said, man, we've got several hours before we need to be back. Why don't we go out to the cliffs and go cliff jumping? And there was a location out on Lake Havasu uh, where you could go out and you could climb up uh, this, this cliff embankment, and you could jump off of it into to a very deep section of the lake. And so we took the boats out there and I watched as we pulled in and, and people are climbing their way up and they're jumping off and it just looked so fun. I thought, oh, I've got to try this. So we pull in, we anchored the boats. I got into the water and swam over to where the cliffs were at, started to climb up. And as I'm climbing, there were several people that were already up there jumping off. And I just kept thinking, wow, this looks so much fun. And I got to the top and there were a few people in front of me. So I'm watching them jump off the edge and yell and scream and hit the water and then come back up and, and just the smile and the, the excitement on their face. I just couldn't wait to do the same. And so it's finally my turn. I walk up to the edge of the cliff and I look down and in that moment, my excitement changed. In that moment, I looked at the distance from where I was standing down to the water and thought, this does not look fun anymore. This looks scary. And fear took me over. I, I didn't want to jump. I had seen several people jump before me and they did just fine. They, they hit the water and they came back up with big smiles and excitement. And I had to remember for just a moment that I knew jumping into the water was going to be okay. And eventually, I finally got up the courage and I jumped off of that cliff into the water and it was the best feeling in the world. As a matter of fact, I went back up several times to do the jump again and again and again because it was just so much fun. But in that moment, I struggled with what to trust. Do, do I trust what I've seen several people do just now, just as I was climbing up, as I was pulling in, I saw so many people jump off that cliff. I knew that there was a safe situation. I knew that the water was safe. Was I going to trust what I knew to be true or was I going to trust the fear that I felt? 
Have you ever struggled with that before? Have you ever had that moment where you struggled with trust and fear? Well, today Jesus talks about where our trust should be placed. He's going to discuss the right perspective that we should have as followers of Jesus and where that, through that perspective, where our trust should be given and whether we should live in fear or in trust or even worse, in pride. And so take your Bibles today and turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We're going to begin in verse 9 this morning. So locate Luke 18 and look down to verse 9. And here's what it says. He also told, told this parable to some uh, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt, saying, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give my tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But instead he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Isn't this interesting? Jesus is telling a parable. Now, uh, for those of you who have been uh, watching this series uh, as we walk through the life and ministry of Jesus, if you've been watching, we've touched on a few parables so far. And a, a parable is a story that Jesus would tell that had a different spiritual truth or had a, a spiritual connection to truth. And so today he tells a parable of a Pharisee who was, Pharisees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day and time. They were the righteous, the super religious people and a tax collector. Now the tax collectors were considered the sinner of sinners. They were the lowest of the low. They, they had defied and gone against their loyalty to country and God. Um, they had turned their backs uh, on serving Israel and instead was serving a foreign government by collecting taxes for them. And many of these tax collectors actually took more money to put in their own pockets. Uh, and they were looked down upon. They were considered despised and no one really liked them. And so these are the two men that have gone up to the temple to pray, this Pharisee and this tax collector, the very, very righteous and the very hardcore sinner. And, and look at where their trust is placed as we think about this. So let's examine where our trust should be placed based off of what Jesus says in this parable. So we see first that the Pharisee goes up 
And he begins praying and he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. This Pharisee begins to uh, trust in what he's done. His trust is placed in his righteousness. It's not placed on his relationship with his savior. He has bragged about how good he is. He is placing judgment on all the quote unquote sinners that he sees around him. And don't get me wrong for a minute. Let's, Let's be honest about this. This Pharisee probably was fairly accurate in his uh, assessment. Uh, Look at it. He says, uh, I'm not like other men, extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I get. None of those statements are incorrect. By, By worldly standards, by legal standards, he was a very righteous man. He, he did everything right. He was very moral. You see, this Pharisee wasn't wrong, but his heart and his trust was wrong. You see, he gives this list of accomplishments and judgments against other people. And as you examine that list, you realize that his salvation, you know, his, uh, the way he sees his place in, in, in salvation is based on what he has done. It's based on him, not Jesus. And that's the problem. He never once acknowledges the power of God or the power of Jesus in his life. It was all about what he had done, but not what God had done in him and maybe even through him. All he's talking about is what he's accomplished and what he's good at and how he has obeyed. But that's not the point. The focus was on the wrong aspect of his faith. You see, it's not what we do that gets us into heaven. It's who we know. And that's the key here. Uh, Old Testament has taught this and New Testament teaches this. It's not about our good works. You can be the most moral person on the planet. You can give all of your money away to the poor and that's still not going to save you. It's still not gonna get you into heaven. It's not going to rescue you from your sins. None of your works, none of the things you do can earn your way into heaven. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 say, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Did you catch that? It's not of your own doing, but it's a gift of God, not a result of works. That's what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say. And that that idea that we're saved by, by our faith in Jesus, that is repeated over and over and over throughout God's word. You see, this Pharisee trusted in himself and what he could do for himself. He trusted his morality. He trusted his good deeds. He trusted his pride. And let me be honest for just a minute. 
we all struggle with pride at some point. We all struggle with that idea that we're good. Guys, let's be honest, we're not good. We are sinners in need of God to save us, to rescue us from the sins we've committed. This Pharisee is leaning on his own pride. And if you're listening, if you're watching right now and you're saying, oh, I'm good, I'm godly, I'm in a good place, then you're probably the one that God is speaking to in this passage. You see, none of us should ever look at our lives and go, you know what, We're, I'm doing a pretty good job. We should always be struggling and fighting to be better followers of Jesus. We should always be accomplishing a greater faith in our Savior, putting more faith in Him rather than in ourselves or in the things in the world around us. This Pharisee trusted his pride. He trusted himself. But now counter that with what the tax collector says. Verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Listen to what Jesus says about that statement. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The one who justifies himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, this tax collector didn't trust in himself or his own good deeds or anything like that. He trusted in the mercy of Jesus. He trusted in faith. The tr this man, this tax collector, truly understood his place in respect to God. You see, your good works, my good works, the way we live our lives, God is not comparing us to other people that we're around. Uh, we can't walk down the street and say, man, God must love me because I'm better than that guy. I'm more moral than that guy. I, I don't do this and I don't do that. God doesn't look at us through that lens. He compares us to his perfection. And believe me, not a single one of us can stand in light of his perfection. We are so imperfect that we cannot even begin to be compared to his perfection. And so that's the problem here. That's actually what the tax collector realizes. Uh, which brings me to today's big idea. Uh, if you've ever watched my messages, you understand that I usually give a big idea. It's a, it's a summary of the main point of that message. And today's big idea is this. Jesus is more concerned about our response to sin than he is about the sin itself. I know this one's not catchy. It doesn't rhyme. It, it doesn't have anything that, that's memorable but there's so much truth in this statement. So let me say it again. Jesus is more concerned about our response to sin than he is about the sin itself. You see, over and over and over, Jesus talks about, yes, you need to know what sin is and you need to do your best to avoid sin. You need to obey the commands of God, the commands of Jesus. But let's be honest, we're all sinners and we're all gonna fall short. We are all gonna disobey. We are all gonna commit sin. And that's where Jesus comes in. 
You see, Jesus came to this earth. He died on a cross after living a perfect, sinless life. He died on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. In other words, he came to rescue us from the consequences of our sins. And the consequence is this, as sinners, we have disobeyed God. We are criminals and we deserve the punishment of God. And what Jesus came and did was to pay our punishment so that we could be declared innocent in the eyes of God, so that we could inherit heaven instead of going down to hell. And maybe you're watching today and maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you have never begun a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've got questions about that. Maybe this whole thing about Jesus dying on a cross and being rescued from your sins, maybe that's confusing. Or maybe you've got questions about it. Please listen very closely. If that's you, I want you to reach out to us right now. There is an email address at the bottom of your screen. I want you to reach out right now and I want you to send us an email so that we can talk to you right now about what a life-changing relationship with Jesus looks like. Well, we wanna answer any questions that you might have and ease any um, uh, you know, cautions that you have in your mind and your heart. Uh, and so reach out to us, send us an email, and we would love to talk to you about what a life-changing relationship with Jesus looks like. You see, Jesus is more concerned about our response to sin than he is to the sin itself. Uh, too often, we get focused on the wrong thing. Just like me standing on that cliff, as I looked down, I didn't focus on what I knew to be true. I knew, I had seen with my own eyes, several people, people that I knew had jumped off that cliff and had come back to the surface smiling and excited and happy that they had done that jump. I knew that it was safe. I knew that I could do it. I knew that it was okay to do it. And yet I did not trust what I knew to be true. I trusted for a moment, I trusted my fear. My trust was not placed in the faith of what I knew. It was placed in something else, in this case, fear. In the passage we're looking at today, Jesus wants us to understand that all too many times we can place our trust in the wrong thing. We, we can place our trust in fear, in pride, uh, in, in so many things around us. We can place uh, trust in our money or in relationships that we have. But in reality, the only thing that can forgive us of our sins and give us eternal life is trust in Jesus. And that's what the warning is today. And he's not talking to unbelievers in this passage. He's talking to God-believing people. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. And so we really should pay attention. Rather than focusing on our morality or how obedient we think we are or, or trusting in money or relationships or whatever it may be, we simply need to trust in Jesus. We need to trust in him and what he did for us. You see, we can be focused all too often on the sin. 
And instead, we need to focus more on our proper response. Just like this tax collector. This tax collector knew that he was a sinner and he responded in the way that Jesus recognizes as being true. That's why Jesus says, this man went home justified. The tax collector, the sinner who cried out for God's mercy, that's the man that went home justified. Not the Pharisee, the religious leader, not the guy who bragged about how good and moral he was. It was the sinner seeking the mercy of God. So here's the question for today. If Jesus is more concerned about our response to our sin rather than the sin itself, how should we respond? When we sin, how should we respond to that sin? Well, I've got three responses today that I wanna give you that God desires for us to do when, he, when we sin. When we sin, he desires three things. The first one is to recognize. He wants us to recognize the sin that we've committed. What's the big danger with the Pharisee in this parable? The danger with the Pharisee is he's not even recognizing that he's a sinner. He, all too many of us don't see, we don't see our own sin. All we see is our morality and our good deeds and everything that we do for Jesus. And we ignore the ways that we disobey him or we fall short of him. We don't recognize how we sin. We're not willing to take the hard look inside ourselves and recognize the ways that we disobey God. The, the fact of the matter is, is we all sin. We're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God according to the book of Romans. Sin is when we disobey God or when we know the good that we should do and we don't do it according to the book of James. And so, we need to recognize the ways that we see the good thing we should do and we don't do it. We need to recognize the ways that we disobey God. And some of us need to understand what God asks of us. We need to call out what sin actually is, what the Bible says sin is. Well, if you go into Galatians 5 verses 19 through 21, it talks about the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh uh, are a generalized listing of, of major sins that we can fall into. And so here's what Galatians 5 19, 19 through 21 says. Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. You see, we need to know what sin is, we need to recognize it, and we need to call it out. We need to recognize the ways that we don't obey God, the ways that we know the good we should do and we don't do it. So the first response is to recognize our sin. The second response is to repent. Now, what does repent mean? It's one of those biblical words that means to recognize the sin and turn away from it, to, to, um, to regret our sin and not do it again, to do everything we can do to avoid that sin in the future. Uh, when you sin, you don't go, oh, well, 
When you sin, you really regret doing it and you spend time working on ways to avoid that sin in the future. And maybe that means you need to spend more time with Jesus, spending time in prayer and in God's word and fasting and meditating on God's word and doing all the things that you're called to do, being with other followers of Jesus that will build you up and encourage you to to obey, to, to listen to the direction of Jesus and to do the right thing. Whatever that is, He calls us to recognize our sin and repent, to turn away from it. And the third response after recognizing and repenting is to remove our sin. So we recognize our sin, we repent of our sin, and we remove our sin. Now, I've already alluded to removing, but basically we stop living in the sin we're at. Uh, Removing our sin is actually part of repenting. It's, a, it's the secondary response of repentance. So going through Galatians 5, 19 through 21, let's ask the questions. Are you sleeping with someone that you're not married to? Are you cheating others or the government to make more money? Are you angry or hateful or jealous? Uh, are you opposing the church and the church leadership and gathering people to be against church, the church and the church leadership? Do you lie? Do you talk about others behind their backs? Do you get drunk? Are you selfish? Well, instead, focus on others. Are you prideful like the Pharisee in today's parable? If you're guilty of these sins or any one of these sins, you're called to recognize it, to repent of it, and to remove it from your life. Now, what does it mean? What does it look like? What are some ways to remove sin? Well, first off, get help. If you're caught up in a sin, maybe you need to talk to one of the pastors here at First Southern. We would love to sit down with you, whether online or face-to-face, and help you walk through how to remove the sin out of your life. Maybe it's talking to someone who is very godly in your life, someone that you look up to, to help guide you out of that sin. Uh, Maybe it's having an accountability partner or accountability software on a computer or a device that you may have. And there are many out there. If you would like help finding one that works for you and your situation, please reach out to us this week at the church and we would love to talk to you about that. Uh, You need to prevent yourself from having access to the sin or the temptation. You see, Romans 13, 14 says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You see, Romans 13, 14 makes it clear that we are to put up roadblocks. We are to block off access to our sin and our temptations. Uh, And there are multiple ways you can do that. Again, if you need help understanding uh, or knowing how to do that, please reach out to someone. Uh, And lastly, I believe this with all of my heart, that if you want to avoid sin, maybe it's not about you know, avoiding a particular action, but trying to live out some other action. If you go and read Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it's the passage we just read that listed off all those sins. If you continue reading through 23, you'll find that immediately following this list of works of the flesh, uh, he also lists off 
the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit counteracts sin. If we live in the fruit of the Spirit, we will live in such a way that sin cannot live in us. Uh, live in peace and patience and kindness and goodness and love and all these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we will live in all of those things, then sin has no room in our lives. Rather than focusing on the sin all the time, maybe it's time we focus on what God does want us to do. Rather than focusing on what we're not to do, focus on what we are to do. So live out the fruit of the Spirit uh, and live that life. One way or the other, God is clear and Jesus makes it clear in today's passage. Don't be like this Pharisee. Don't be full of yourself. Don't put trust in anything other than Jesus and the rescue, the salvation that he provides. Be like the tax collector, not in the ways that he sins, but in the way he recognizes that it's only through the mercy and grace and forgiveness that can be found in Jesus alone that he can be saved, that he can be rescued from his sins. So what are your sins? Have you recognized them? Uh, once you've recognized them, have you begun the process of turning away from repenting, of repenting of them? And lastly, have you taken the hard steps to remove those sins from your life? That's what today's parable is asking us to do. Recognize that we are all sinners in need of a savior, that we need the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. And it's only through the power of Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, that we can recognize that we can repent and that we can remove our sin. What is Jesus calling you to, to do today with your sin? What sin are you not recognizing? What sin are you not repenting of? And what sins do you need to take hard steps to remove permanently from your life? Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for your son coming to this earth, dying on a cross, rising from the grave and ascending into heaven in victory over sin and death. Thank you that you love us so much that you gave your one and only son and help us to recognize that we are all sinners. We all need your grace and forgiveness. We all need your mercy. Lord, we pray that we would recognize our sin Help us to not be like the Pharisee in today's parable. Help us to recognize that we are sinners and help us to recognize the sins that we're guilty of. Examine our hearts through our, your Holy Spirit and help us to see the sins that we need to turn away from. Help us to turn away from them. Help us to repent. Help us to, to mourn over our sin and to, to be regretful of our sin. And in response out of repentance, help us to take the steps necessary, even if they're hard steps, to remove the sin from our lives. Lord, if anyone watching today has questions about that, I pray that you would give them the courage to reach out to a godly person or a pastor here at the church to know and to understand more how to remove sin from their lives, how to live in relationship with their one and only Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, it's in his name that we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.